This podcast is brought to you by Hound. Hound comments on style violations and GitHub pull requests, allowing you and your team to better review and maintain a clean code base. Try it now at houndci.com. That's an incredible name. Well, Tom made it up. We're talking. It was. I. I can't even begin to explain what happened this morning. But the gist of it is it's better. Better just not to be explained. That's and that the gist of I it. Think that Tom has a coffee brewer at home whose name is Canary Knight. <laughs> and it's K N Knight. Yeah, of course. I wasn't sure if that was if everyone knew that. <laughs> the illustrious Everett Knights. <laughs> comes from a long line of brewers right long line a brewer like his father before him <laughs> right his father was outcast from the family from breaking from trappist monk ale brewing but... <laughs> wow how did you come to work why aren't you hanging out with canary right now this is not as cool he's busy with afternoon tea <laughs> you must make a mean cup of tea right. oh my Have god a show. oh bye tom <laughs> Oh my, I was thinking about on the way over here, I was like, I haven't, personally speaking, I have not recorded a podcast in the morning before with coffee. So this is, <laughs> this is a new experience for me. I wonder how it compares. We should try different times all the time and kind of see. Different times, different drinks. <laughs> yeah. Just, just change it up all the time. Yeah, I've been do wanting like to try kombucha. Tea, do <laughs> yeah. some like late afternoon kombucha. <laughs> what else can we get in here? We can get like a smoothie. Oh, yeah. Austin has some good smoothie places. Really? Like fruit or like ice cream? Wait. <laughs> Is it? Of course it's. Ice cream. <laughs> it's a milkshake, ice Jackie. Called shake. <laughs> <laughs> See, when I, when I hear smoothie, it's like, my first thought is always ice cream, and then I'm like, oh, wait, like kale and stuff, like the green ones. <laughs> well, how are you this morning? I'm good. Like I'm this. having my cold brew. Ooh. Me too. Isn't yeah. it too cold in Boston to have cold brew? You know, the cold brew we have is really good, so, and it's so easy. Yeah. It's so easy to get. So but before I was doing like an AeroPress situation, which is amazing. Have you ever had an AeroPress coffee? I don't think so, actually. I have French press and mm. like a coffee pot drip thing. And then I've also done pour over. Mm. I, don't, I don't think I've done AeroPress. Oh, it's so cool. It's so good. Makes a perfect cup of coffee. This is not sponsored by AeroPress, by the way. But it could be. Maybe we should... We should reach out. <laughs> get get AeroPress to sponsor. Yeah. Send us our own canary. Right. They'll be like, what is this podcast? <laughs> Do you talk about coffee? <laughs> no. Just this morning because we're, we're recording at a different time. So new things to talk about. <laughs> I, I mean, Tom's got, got it the right way, like having his own personal coffee brewer. Yeah, definitely. Maybe yeah. Canary Knight does AeroPress, but he uses his his hands. Like he doesn't even have the apparatus. Like he's so good at it that you know, <laughs> <laughs> like it's like his own custom AeroPress. It's like those I don't know, but sometimes like there's just like this really funny thing like in 
TV shows where when someone was really strong, they can they can crack a nut with like their arm. You know what I'm talking about? Like they they put it <laughs> yeah, like here. in their like yeah armpit, <laughs> not their armpit. What is that called? I don't their know what elbow that's pit? called. I don't. I'm know. calling it an elbow pit. Yeah, elbow pit. I don't think anyone has named that yet. There's got to be a name for it. I'm sure there's at least a medical scientific term for it. It has. It really gets not a lot of play because I don't know what the name of it is. I know all about the knees and the elbows, but nothing about the elbow pits. <laughs> right. Well, what's, well, what are what are what's the back of the knee? Called? I was just like, gonna ask that. I don't know. What's the back of the knee, <laughs> knee called? Pit. Knee pit. It's a knee pit. They're all pits. Well, then, like more of a shoulder pit. Right, because the Maybe arm has smart. multiple pits. The arm has multiple. Maybe this pits. is like a lead into like what we should talk about. Like what naming <laughs> conventions? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, actually, I have something to say about that. <laughs> <laughs> I love I love the segues. I think we should rename the podcast Segways and not the good kind. Like, you know, like the scooter. I don't know. It's not really a scooter, is it? Is a Segway a scooter? Say if we if we rename it Segway, then we're going to have to like buy some Segways and just like <laughs> while we're recording, I'm just going to go wheeling around we work. Oh man. On my Segway. I'm sure Tom would love the audio quality of that. <laughs> He's gonna get a whole new equipment. We got we got on the move podcasters here. We got a there's a lot of stuff going on. We got the air, other people talking. <laughs> I'm sure everyone else at WeWork would love that too. Just like this yeah. random guy running around on a Segway. Right. And they're like, he shouldn't be running, he should be like standing on it. I don't know what he's doing. You don't you don't push the Segway, you stand on it. <laughs> anyway, but I do have a Segway. I do. Um, naming conventions in CSS and SAS. I, for the longest time, had, you know, it was always thinking about what I should name classes and how it should work. And every time I started a new project, it got better and better it, for me. And then, like, you know, in the beginning, you set up some naming conventions, like, this thing is a block quote, or I don't know, whatever. And then after, like, a month, everything falls apart, you know, because they're too specific. And then one project I popped onto, and they were using BEM, a block element modifier convention, and it, it's changed my life and world, and now that's all I, all I use. All you use? That's it. It's amazing. It's like... I feel like it's a, like an engineer's approach to using CSS. It's very, not a lot of emotion attached. You know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> it's like very particular. I love the modifiers and the parent-child relationship and calling it out in CSS. That's all. That's the thing That's I want to say. That's the whole podcast? Cool. That, we that can was... just end that there and <laughs> I have other stuff to do. Right. Well, what do you think? Do you use BEM? Yeah, not because like I'm really excited about it, but because it's to me the best solution. Like I know for the longest time I did what you're doing, which is like essentially like have natural language mm -hmm. classes. I, of course, went through that phase where I think like most people do where they're like, oh, I can just nest everything in SAS mm. and like not have classes and then I went through a phase where, like, everything gets one class. BEM's kind of nice because I th feel like, like, I know there's now a trend to, like, add tons of classes with, like, tachyons mm. and that kind of direction. 
I don't know. Mentally, I can't get on board with that yet, but I've heard like wonderful things about it. So yeah, I'm fine with Bem. <laughs> I mean, I haven't written a website, done CSS in a while, mm-hmm. outside of React Native, and so like React Native, uh, which I assume is similar to React, which I haven't worked in, but like the components have their the CSS built in, and at first I was like, this is repulsive and oh. terrible. And now I'm like, this is the best way to do, like, combine HTML, CSS, and JavaScript. Like, if I could do that all in one file, like, it makes, <laughs> I was so happy to do that. Because it also, like, mimics the way that I've always kind of thought about CSS, which is, like, trying to compartmentalize and componentize, you know, the different styles. It's also nice because, like, within different components, you can have the same same name, and I, maybe this is like not the best way to set it up, but so like have the same name, but have sl- like like wrapper instead of being very specific like BEM. If you want like a container class, you are like more specific about the component it's being applied to. And that's why you need BEM. So you like have the component name and then the double underscore wrapper. Mm-hmm. Whereas this, you can just like, lop off that whole front part of BEM and just say, I already know this is in this component. I'm going to call it wrapper or container or whatever. Oh, right. You know, you mentioned tachyons and and having a class for because I've been on all sorts of projects that do all sorts of different things. And I was just on one that, you know, there was a they're all like utility classes. So you're able to like in the markup, throw in like a padding all sides or padding right four, like, you know, not so much pat, you know, and there was no sense of like design system in a way, I guess, I mean, there was a system in that that was the system. But I guess I don't know where our need comes from to have CSS so, so semantic in a in a way like, I mean, we can name these classes, whatever we want. And there's still this need to keep it organized in such a way where we're describing, we're just always describing what's on the page. And I find that the more I describe what's on the page, the faster it breaks down because usually what we build changes so so quickly, you know, and that's where the most frustration comes in. So I think that could be really cool to have them everything just associated with the component, like what, like what you were saying with React Native. Man, I'd like to be on a project with that. I haven't, actually haven't worked in React Native. But, you know, like the one thing when I think about BEM is it kind of helped me get over my weird fear of making things too long. <laughs> like like growing up, like so my last name is Perone, right? And all my handles from when I was younger, I, I lop off the last three letters of my last name because I'm like Perone is too long of a name to put on anything. Like any user, it's like too long. Like my whole name is too long. So, like, even with, like, naming classes, like, trying to keep things short for some reason. And with BEM, like, some of these class names that you come up with because, you know, you're doing all the, you know, you're adding in children or you're adding in modifiers. Like, these class names get really freaking long. And I'm, like, okay with it now. Like, I'm okay. <laughs> like, I can make these things super long and it's okay. It's all right. You know, <laughs> like, I'm going to add yeah. those last three letters back to my last name. You know, <laughs> I don't know. Do you ever... <laughs> You ever, like, experienced that? <laughs> I don't think so. Like, I've always, I know a lot of people, like, abbreviate button. Oh, I've always yeah. been someone yes. that, like, I would rather type it out and be have it be really clear. 
Yeah. Rather than shortening, taking out vowels. I was going to ask you, though, like we've talked a lot about BEM, but for those people who maybe don't know what BEM is, do you want to take a shot at telling them? <laughs> sure. So BEM is a way, so it stands for block element modifier. So basically that's kind of how it's structured. So when you're naming an element on the page, you aren't just saying, let's, okay, let's say, what's a good example? You have a page on your website, there's a list in it. Like let's say it's a shopping list and the list contains items. Some items are vegetables, some are fruit, some are cereals or whatever. So when you're naming something like an item in this shopping list, and let's say vegetables are styled differently than the fruit, than the cereals, you'd be naming it in terms of, of like, so the block, which is you have your list kind of, you know, like that's the list. And then like the element being the list item and the modifier being like what this list item is. So when you're like, when you're writing it out, you have your class name that's specifying it's a list and you can, there's certain syntax to, to say whether this list is a shopping list or maybe you have other lists that are different things like there's shopping list or there's a list of things to do on a Saturday. So you're like, you have your list, there's a way to modify it, whether it's a shopping list or a list of things to do on a Saturday. And then there's also like calling out what its children are. So it's like shop, there's like a list, it's a shopping list and its child is a vegetable. And then there's a class now handling vegetables that are a part of a list that's for shopping. Does that make any sense whatsoever? <laughs> It's... Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I'm over here shaking my head, so it makes sense to me. I think one of the things... I just blacked out. <laughs> <laughs> I just had an out-of-body experience. <laughs> so traditional, like the way that, that it's separated in the name is the element is signified by a double underscore, and the modifier is signaled by a double dash mm -hmm. hyphen. Right. So you have like list. If you had in the CSS, there's a class that says, it says, you know, period, list, hyphen, hyphen, shopping. That means it's a list that's, you know, it's a shopping list. You can have like class that's list, hyphen, hyphen, shopping, list, hyphen, hyphen, you know, activities, list, hyphen, hyphen. So those are just like the types of lists. And then the underscores are children of that, of those particular lists. But there's always, you know, it's like, you know, list, underscore, underscore, vegetable, underscore, underscore, fruit, things like that. But there's all sorts of rules that now it gets, there, there's rules for everything. And like now it depends on what you want to do. So sometimes they're like, you can't put an element next to a modifier. You can't have, you can't have it all, basically. And, you know, sometimes people are like, no, we can have it all. You know, we're going to do whatever we want. We're going to have two elements instead of one because there's also rules on how many elements you can put into a class name. So hopefully this is this is sparking enough intrigue for you to go and read about it from a credible source. <laughs> <laughs> we can put those with in pictures. the show notes. <laughs> yeah. Pictures. <laughs> with pictures and examples. But the only thing you got to know is that if you are someone who you start, a t you start a project, you have your text editor out, and you're like, what am I going to name this stuff? And then you take a little while, and it's like this is every – and you're, you have the thought of like – this should be easier, you know? That's kind of like the black and white like version, like when you have the as seen on TV thing. 
and someone's like trying to put a nail in the wall and they just like throw the hammer through the wall and it's like should, this should be easier like that's Bem's answer to CSS so you should check it out <laughs> wow coffee is weird right <laughs> <laughs> this is not beer <laughs> it is quite the opposite in fact Oh, I was going to say, like, there are some use cases where I found BEM to be kind of annoying. So, like, BEM's really good when you know your project CSS is going to get really large. So, like, when I have a, like, two-page marketing website, I'm not going to use BEM because it's, like, overkill for that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But also, like, I'm not using BEM when I'm jumping into a code base that isn't already using BEM. Mm-hmm. Because then it just looks funky and mm. like half of the CSS is following one convention and the other CSS is following another. And it's just like that messes with me more than like following conventions. Mm-hmm. Those are the two. I like the thing about BEM is like it's awesome when everyone follows it and it's terrible when only some people follow it. I know. <laughs> it's also, it is super annoying. Like I've had to get consult. I've had to like reach out to someone and be like, how would you name this list item? (laughs) You know? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) When do you create a new block as opposed to an element of a block? Because everything is nested in HTML and and there's no clear defining like way to do that, which is like also the challenging part about CSS, right? Is like Mm. you're styling all these nested things. You know what I think is the most challenging thing in the world? (laughs) Like talking about this stuff. It's so hard to talk about. It's so abstract. Yeah. I mean, that's why BEM is nice is because it like at least gives some concrete like stuff to just like point at and be like, yeah, this is this is a way to do things. Yeah. As opposed to most CSS, which is just like so abstract and there aren't any rules around it that it's just like, ah, do whatever you want. Yeah. Whee! That's me writing CSS. <laughs> That's good to know. <laughs> I always think about how hard it is to talk about even just design in general with when you're trying to explain it to someone who does not know the language or hasn't been through a project. Like I'm t- thinking about when you're consulting, you know, with clients and they don't necessarily know the amount of time and thinking. Like, it's all abstract. There's no... And then the thing we make is not a physical thing. So that's even weirder. You know, it's so... It's just such a bizarre thing. It's so hard to quantify and talk about. It's just... I'm, I'm always trying to find, like, a visual aid or something. You know, like... I'm always trying to think of metaphors to kind of help get a client on the same page in terms of like how much work this would be or like our pro- like the agile approach, adding one thing at a time, you know, not going from a scooter, you know, the, the visual of the car. Yeah, going from like roller skates to a skateboard to a scooter to like a motorized scooter to a motorcycle to a car to yeah. a bus yeah. to an airplane yeah. to... No, I think it stops at the car, but I just... <laughs> to a rocket going. ship. Yeah. To a rocket ship. Yeah, yeah. Totally. To a s- giant spaceship. Right. To... Life on Mars. <laughs> yeah. Do you have any particular metaphors that you use to kind of explain agile or software development? No. 
Uh, I'm like currently going through this. So my, my current project is, is still fairly new and like a lot of clients expectations about visual design up front, like they think that visual design just like is this thing that comes out of us and is like suddenly perfect. But in reality, <laughs> first off, we're focusing early on in the project, focusing on trying to solve business problems and visual design is lower priority usually but also it's it's something that comes out of iteration but what i think they're looking for is like the don draper like reveal sometimes and what we have to do or what i have to do is just like go back and be like this is a process it's not going to take me a couple days to come out with your whole web app design ready to go you know and like the more time we have on this the more we'll be able to iterate and of course, like one of the things that they like to do is like point out products with really great design, like Dropbox or it's like someone else's website or someone else's web app or someone else's, you know, iPhone app. And I have to remind them that like that has a team of probably like five to 50 designers behind it and a team of however many hundreds of developers like dial down your expectations of like mm-hmm. we're not building dropbox here yeah and they've had years upon years of iteration right people looking at the design and spending so much time tweaking it that part the visual part is is that's probably the hardest of everything sometimes because you know there's that phrase like everyone's a designer in a way like you can look at a thing and be like i don't like that color and it's that's totally that like sure i mean okay yeah you get a lot more input, I guess, from a variety of different people, personalities. I feel like when like clients don't really look at, they don't even think about the code. They they look at the screen. They're like, I don't, I don't know what that. Cool, you know. They're not. They're not like. They're not like leaning over the screen and being like, "That's what you named your database." Do you even know what kind of things? You know, like that's a ridiculous <laughs> name for a database. Like no one's saying that. But they can look at a design and be like, that is a ridiculous amount of drop shadow. Like, what is, you know, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Yeah. When clients or, or even other designers come to me with that, essentially they're, they're saying, oh, this is a solution. What I usually try to do is train my clients to get to the why. So mm-hmm. like, oh, I don't like that color. Okay, like, wh- why is this not the right color for your users? Yeah. And like, dial back the layers of like, whatever to get to the real reason that they didn't want that, instead of just like changing the green to blue or or whatever the, yeah. the like they're directing me to do. And we do that throughout our entire process too with the the features as well. Like at any point, they're not saying like, oh, I want a slider here. That we're, we're like dialing back and saying like, okay, well, like that's a solution. Like what's the problem that you're trying to solve right. with that? Right. So it's the same kind of process that we're doing for features that I'm doing for visual design. It's like, what's up? <laughs> Tell me more. <laughs> right. Well, that, that reminds me too of, I used to have, you know, way like many jobs ago, I had a, um, not really a boss, but just someone who was more like managing like that process, like the creative output and the feedback they would give was just so much like what you just said i don't like that and then that then like i gotta run to a meeting and it's like wait (laughs) 
what does that mean? And then, you know, I just, you know, I don't, I don't like, I just don't like this. And I'm like, you need to give more information. And then like, <laughs> like pulling out exactly what they don't like. And I'm always, I'm always aware of that's, that was a re- actually a big learning experience for me in terms of giving feedback and not being, I, I always try not to be so prescriptive. Like, I always try and phrase it in a way that will still give the person doing it their own creative license to solve it however they want to solve it, whatever that, because I'm, you know, we need all different people of (laughs) everyone's ideas, you know, it's not just one person's idea, right? So I'm always trying to be mindful and giving some kind of visual design feedback of just pointing out like, well, like, what is this trying to convey? It's trying to convey that, you know, I don't know that something's unavailable. Well, okay, I, I didn't get, I didn't, that wasn't readily apparent. Then that's it. And then like now it's up to them to figure out, you know, if they agree with that and if other people give them that feedback, how could I make it so that this is more apparent that this is, that this means that this item is unavailable, you know, yep. or like disabled or like selected instead of being like, I don't like that. What does that mean? <laughs> Change it. You should do this instead, you know? That's one of the reasons. So being able to do that and being able to dig into, you know, clients' expectations and reasoning for that is why I've enjoyed working at ThoughtBot because at a lot of other companies and previously, like, there was always a middle person communicating my design decisions to the project owner Mm. and then the project owner would communicate their desires to that middle person and they just kind of like we'd have this series of playing phone what is it phone tag phone tag no it's not phone tag telephone man yeah that's that's (laughs) telephone operator (laughs) sounds like (laughs) movies socks it is it is friday morning in our defense So it's like a game of telephone. Like <laughs> right. I, I'm communicating to them, they're communicating back, and then they're getting direction back. And and what like what ended up coming back is like, oh, change that to red. It's like, oh yeah, uh, 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 why? No. <laughs> <laughs> Something was lost there. But we don't have like our designers talk directly to the client and are expected to communicate their decisions mm-hmm. directly to the client, which is like, you know, it's an added skill set a huge added skill set but as designers like every designer should be able to to go through and say like this is what i'm thinking and this is why i'm doing it this way and if you have a better idea by all means tell me and like Mm -hmm. let's work together and figure that out i feel like as young designers we're all like very strong-willed and like I have it the right way and nothing you're going to do. There's nothing you're going to do to convince me that I'm wrong. Oh my God. Yeah. That's definitely an added skill set to kind of release that ego a little and go more into the idea that you are a part of, of a team and you have your ideas and the ones that you are. So like, you know, sometimes you do have an idea and you're like, no, this is, no, like I've been through this a million times before. I've seen the outcome. So let me please speak from experience on this. And then you can, you know, you you can back it up that way and just speak to your experience. You know, I think the other added skill set that kind of comes with being able to talk directly to clients about your design is that you need 
everything you're like naturally get to a point where everything you're putting on your screen on your design you have a reason for it like I remember I've gotten just starting out I would kind of you know I wasn't necessarily thinking about literally everything that I was putting on the interface like sometimes I'd put something on there that I've seen before like oh shopping carts should have this thing let's just say and it's kind of like when people talk about with with drawing like a portrait of someone there's like you have your idea of what eyes look like, what a nose looks like. So you just draw your idea of what those things are, but you're not actually seeing like what the person looks like, you know. So it was kind of like now having to explain. I just got into the mode of being able to explain a reason behind every single thing. And that makes it so much easier to talk to anybody about your design if you have a reason behind everything you're doing. Right. It also like, you know, going into that, like, you have stronger reasons for certain things and not as strong reasons for others. And you're like willing to be like, okay, let's bring this into a usability test. Let's bring this yeah. to a user interview. Yep. Let's all get to it together and do design sprint exercises to like really work through this issue that I've got going on. Yeah. Whereas like, I feel really confident about the rest of this navigation, but this cart thing over here. Yeah. Um, I'm a little hazy on it. Like, why is that button there? You Like, my old, like, reason can't be, oh, because they all, all carts have that. That's a reason, but not necessarily, it's not showing the client that you're really thinking about their needs in a way, you know? And you're right. You have to know which of your decisions you can let go. Like, for me, anything, I guess, I guess to a point now, anything aesthetic, padding, like, little things like that, like, color, sure, you want to make this space gray, like, let's go for it. Like, I know that's fine. But anything more like the stuff that's more like the actual content, the navigation, like the actual experience stuff, that's a little more broad, you know, kind of knowing what you need to push for and then what you need to be like, okay, let's go to user testing and then kind of let the user, like let the users decide, you know, get someone who's not part of your, like just a third party in just to kind of help. And there are times when you're wrong and that's really good to know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then you realize, oh, I really don't know. <laughs> okay, well, so it could go either way. One of my favorite things in the past is to like, when, I, when me and a client are disagreeing on something like that, I'm like, let's bring this to usability testing mm -hmm. and we'll watch people use it and loser buys lunch. And it's like, it's a nice way to diffuse like an argument because now you've turned it into like essentially like a game <laughs> and you also have this, you know, essentially an arbitrator <laughs> who is like going to be using the pro like it turns into a, like a really good thing because you're like designing for the people mm -hmm. that are going. To and so like you're you're leaving the decision not in a designer's hands, not in client product manager hands. You're yeah. leaving it in the hands of the people that will be using it. Who, yeah. you know, those are the best hands to be in. Yeah. You know, because a lot of times, too, I've heard sometimes clients push back on user testing and they're like, well, don't you just know? I mean, you, you, you do this. So why, why do you need to test this? Like, don't you know? So it's you have a point, but then you have to go into why that, you know, you need to actually sometimes you got a gut check and you're you're showing this to a lot of people who want you want to use it. So you want to make sure that it's usable. I guess just just knowing 
which of your decisions you can kind of take a leap of, of faith on. Ones that are not earth shattering, like if, if you get them wrong, your whole product explodes. Then there are other decisions that like onboarding or trying to do a very like the core functionality of your product. Those are kinds of things that you, you it'd be good to have users in on, get some feedback from them, make sure that it's clear. Because if it's not clear, then they're not going to use it and they're going to go to the other product that does probably something similar, <laughs> you know? Yeah. I think I'm all out of things to say. That's all I'm I have all to say about that. That's, yeah. <laughs> I'm just, I'm done with my coffee's done, which means tentative is over. Let's, let's just shut this down. Coffee is done. That was, that was good. That was fun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that went from us talking about armpits to <laughs> a meaningful conversation. A, a, a question mark pits. <laughs> Not, what's the area behind the elbow? What is that? We'll put it. We'll, actually, we'll put it in the show notes. Like what? I, what the name be the is? Title of this episode. You can get a show notes at tentative.fm/slash forty-seven. You can. <laughs> the Tweet? other things. Oh, oh yeah, Twitter. You see, you you, <laughs> you know this better than I do. Or at tentative.fm. You can email us at host at tentative.fm. You can rate us on iTunes. Yeah, I think that's it. Cool. I don't, I don't have anything else. All right. That was really fun. <laughs> Thanks, Coffee. Thanks, Kyle. Thanks, Tom. <laughs> Thank you, Coffee. <laughs> Thank you, Canary Night. Canary Night for the win. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> this podcast was brought to you by ThoughtBot. We are experienced designers and developers who turn your idea into the right product. With local studios in Boston, San Francisco, New York, London, Austin, Raleigh, and Washington, D.C., let's build something great together.